We are taking a one-week break from Mark, and Craig will be preaching to us out of Isaiah. Uh, the passage is in Isaiah 37. It's in your liturgy guide. And in a symbolic way of demonstrating our respect for God's Word, I would invite you to stand as I read Isaiah 37, 16 through 20. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Morning, everybody. My name's... Craig Cody. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community. I just want to welcome you guys to this beautiful place. We're so thankful again that the Berries have hosted us out here. I want to extend a a special welcome to anybody who's either here with us right now or tuning in online for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. This morning, just like what um, Scott mentioned, we are taking a one-week break from our series through Mark. And sometimes during this time of year, we like to remember together who we are as a church Uh, what Christ Community is all about. Some of you are new to Christ Community. Some of you have been here from the very beginning. Um, But it's important to rehearse again and again who we are. The way we express that is through some core values, three core values. As a church, our three core values that we say pretty often are gospel, community, mission. Gospel, community, and mission. Those three strands weave together to form the core of what Christ Community is all about. And if you want to hear more about that, if you go to the website, ChristCommunityCU.com, and you go under the About tab, and then it says Values, there's a a, a message, actually, that we gave last year on each one of those particular core values. This is still the core of who we are. But here's my question today. As As I started putting this sermon together, this is the question that kept coming to my mind over and over again, is when things get tough, as they are in these days, Doubts, fears, anxieties, apathy starts to creep in. We kind of want to hide. Gospel community and mission? Maybe we can do that when things get back to normal, whatever normal is. In the Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins, along with his faithful friend Sam Gamgee, many of you know the story, and a team of warriors set out on a dangerous journey to stop the evil ruler Sauron. He's the ruler of a place called Modor. And along the way, Sam and Frodo have a conversation about the journey that they have been on. This is the middle of the journey, and it's been really hard. And this is, this is the conversation. Frodo is speaking, and he says, I don't like anything here at all. Step or stone, breath or bone, Earth, air, water, all seem accursed. 
but so our path is laid. Maybe some of you feel that way today. Everything's cursed, but this is where we're at. And Sam responds. He says this. Yes, that's so, but we shouldn't be here at all if we had known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures, as, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered. Folks seem to have just landed in them. Usually, their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back. Only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know, because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those that just went on. And not all to a good end, mind you, but those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they might be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. What sort of tale have you fallen into? I'm talking about your life right now. What sort of tale have you fallen into? Probably not the tale you expected, not in these unique and unprecedented days. Everything might feel accursed like what Frodo said at the beginning. Whatever tale you've fallen into, to keep going, to keep following that hard path that you're on right now, I do know this. It's going to take all of you. It's going to take resilience and courage, and it's going to take even more than that. God's word, the Bible, tells us this about the Christian faith. 1 John 5, 4 says this. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. What does that mean? It means that those who trust Jesus can overcome the world. It means that all the evil that's surging in the world does not control you. It means we don't have to sink into the godlessness that we see around us. It means shattered dreams and hardships do not have to have the final word. That's not the end of the road. I read a quote, a quote this week by a guy named, uh, his last name was Ortland, and he said, trusting in God gives us the courage needed to overcome the world. So here's what I want to do this morning. What I've been praying for you all this week is I want you to be world overcomers. Not in a best life now kind of sense, but in a faith-filled, courageous sense. And I want to show you how that works. That's what we're briefly going to dive into today in God's word. That's from the passage that that Scott just read to us from Isaiah 36 and 37, and we need God's help with that. So let's ask him. Let me just pray one more time before we dive into his word. Let's pray. Lord, you are the creator of all things, from uh, the galaxies that are whirling around us right now to the microscopic atomic particles that we can't even see. You made them all in all of their diversity and beauty and power. You are God. Cause your glory to pour out on this field today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Isaiah 36. We'll spend a little bit of time just hopping around Isaiah 36 and 37. Let me give you a a little overview of what's going on in Isaiah 36. This is not a tale you would want to fall into. Assyria 
It was the great power of that time, invades Judah in modern-day Israel. They took city after city, whether they were protected by defenses or not. It didn't matter. And they finally made their way to the capital, to Jerusalem, with a great army. Just outside the city wall, some of the leaders of the Assyrian army and the leaders of Israel meet. The Assyrian leader, in a mocking and sarcastic tone, taunts the officials. And this is just my paraphrase. He says something like this, Ask your king, in whom do you now trust? I'll give you 2,000 horses. That is, if you can find people to ride them. It won't matter. Besides, God told me to come here and destroy this place. That's what this Assyrian invading army is saying to the officials in Jerusalem. And then he shouts it out so that everyone who was stationed on the walls around the city could hear it. He, he says, don't listen to your king. Come on out here. I'll take care of you. Trust me. If you noticed around town recently, around Champaign-Urbana, there's quite a few buildings that are going up, big ones. And in almost every case, uh, builders are using a good amount of steel to give support and strength to the structure. Steel isn't something that you just go out and find naturally. It starts as iron, and then it's heated in a furnace or a crucible to a very hot temperature, and then you can add the good stuff and take out the bad. It's the heat, though, that makes it workable. There in the crucible. This moment for Judah, for the king, for the people, that's the crucible, the fire, the furnace. We have moments like these, don't we? When the difficulties and pressures of life turn up the heat, it can come suddenly and catastrophically like an army at the gates, or it can come slowly the stacking up of stress and hardship over time. Tim Keller is a pastor that a lot of us know, that we love and respect. He's out in New York City, and he was recently diagnosed with cancer. Something that I didn't know, though, was that he was actually diagnosed with cancer many years before this. He was diagnosed with cancer right around September 11th. And remember, he's a pastor in New York City. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in, in leadership over a ministry in New York City, around the time of the September 11 attacks, just having received a diagnosis of cancer. Keller said that that was a crucible for him. He talked about his faith, his own faith in those moments, and he confessed his own lack of courage. He said he, said he was just numb, but he just kept going. He didn't stop. He didn't let up with the work And that's what coping looks like. Just keep going. Just got to keep going. Just got to get by. But then God gave him some insight on how not to just cope, but to actually overcome. And this is what Keller said. He said, with God, and he's, he's talking about this season of his life, with God, there's hope. Your own fate ceases to be the reason for your courage. With God, there's hope. Your own fate ceases to be the reason for your courage. What does that mean? If you're out to preserve yourself, preserve your your plans, your comforts, your ease, your control, your life, you are coping with life. You're not living the, the life that God made you to live. You're consumed with your own fate. And you will then live a life of fear, anxiety, and frustration because you're trying to control the uncontrollable. I heard an extreme racer this last week. You guys know what extreme races are? This is a woman. She does 
um, these eco-challenges, super long 11-day treks through the Fiji jungle. She's done multiple Ironmans, 100-mile marathons. And she was talking about why people do those extreme events, those extreme sports. And she said, this was, this was her, her opinion, she said people do it to try to convince themselves they control more than they actually do. Doesn't this time, I'm talking about right now, this, this time in the history of the world, show how uncontrollable life is? Has that illusion that life is controllable, that we are the masters of our own destiny, has that illusion not been dashed to pieces on the rocks of pandemic and riots and political upheaval and our own private struggles and sorrows? But there is a life offered to you by faith in Jesus Christ where you die to your plans comforts, pursuit of ease, control, gain, and temporary pleasures, and come alive to Almighty God. It's a life where Jesus isn't just the most important thing in your life. He is your life. Faith in Jesus awakens in your heart a sense of glory far greater than even life itself. And when you have that, you overcome the world. Not because you're in control, but because you're controlled by someone far greater. Before this moment, the king of Judah went to Egypt for help. When he faced the crucible, the fire, the furnace, he went to somebody else. He was coping. He was trying to preserve things his way. And now in this crucible of affliction, he turns to God. So now we're into chapter 37. King Hezekiah, as I mentioned, he's a mixed bag of loyalties. Um, He went to Egypt, but now Assyria's at the gate. What's he going to do? As they taunt Judah, they pose to the king maybe one of the key questions we'll ever ask ourselves in all of life. If you're looking at your Bible, I'm still in chapter 36. At the end of it, though, verse 20. And the leader of the Assyrian army is standing there, and he says this, Who... Among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. What is the question he's asking? What is he he asking the king? What is he asking the people? This is the question. Will you trust God? Will you really stake your life on the truthfulness of God? And that is the key question for us. Will you, I'm talking to you, Will you trust God? Will you stake your life on the truthfulness of God? If we ally ourselves with God, will he defend us? Or are we signing ourselves up for destruction? If if Jesus really is my life, like I just talked about, will he protect me? Will he help me? Will he keep me? Or is it all a joke? Is it even real? Listen, I know especially in this season, that many of you struggle with doubt. Is God real? Is he here? Does he see the tragedies that are happening in the world? Does he care about that? Is he going to do something about that? There's so much that we can say about that, that I want to say about that right now, but I'm just going to simply say this. Don't let fears and doubts drag you away from the source of true life. There are good answers to your good questions. Don't stay trapped in the isolation of your own mind 
or your internet conversations or your same friend groups. Come and talk with me. Come and talk to one of the elders. Join an MC. Get answers to your good questions. Jesus, please, Jesus is seeking you. Join us in seeking him. Please, please. The road you walk, the road of doubt, is well-worn. And I've been there too. I understand that. Don't stay there, though. Let me circle back around to that key question, though. Will you trust God? Will you stake your life on the truthfulness of God? For Hezekiah, this king, if God failed, the outcome was truly horrendous. The Assyrian army was particularly brutal. They captured their enemies and they actually impaled them. But here's what Hezekiah, in the crucible of the moment, realizes. And this is so critical. This is bigger than him. This moment with the Assyrian army where in the face-off, it's bigger than him. This is bigger than his life and whether he lives or dies. This is about the glory of God and his glory going out into all the world. Look at, look at what Hezekiah does. Chapter 37, verse 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah goes into the house of the Lord. Why? He goes to seek God. And God hears and he answers. He causes Assyria to return to their country, but that's not where it ends. Assyria sends messengers back with a letter addressed to the king. And he says, the letter says, not so fast, Judah. We're going to be back. Do you really think that your God can save you? And Hezekiah goes back to the house of the God, to the, to the, to the house of God, and he lays that letter out before the Lord and lays himself out before the Lord. It contained all of their threats. And he prays with all of his might. He prays not with eyes on himself, but on the basis of the great, greatness of God. And let's read what Scott already read for us. So this is chapter 37, verses 16 through 20. It says this, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. The crucible, this affliction that King Hezekiah is in, is bringing life to his faith. The fire is bringing out the beauty of what will stand the test of trials in eternity. Assyria is mocking Hezekiah. And Hezekiah responds by saying, this isn't about me. God, this is about you. This is about you who made all things, who see all things. Save us. Save us so that all the kingdoms of the earth can know that you alone are Lord. This type of praying, brothers and sisters, this type of praying, this perspective, how does that happen? It happens because of the crucibles in life. It happens because, because you see what you're made for. He's not praying, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? He's praying, Lord, won't you glorify yourself in this? 
He's released from the prison of self-preservation and concern over his own fate. And he's now radically God-centered and courageously resilient because of it. Hezekiah is a man just like me and you. He made some big mistakes. But what I want us to see this morning is that a God-centered life, a life lived to display how great God is, overcomes the world. What I'm saying is a Christian, that is someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, puts Jesus at the center of their life, who, who do you remember this, picks up their cross, denies him or herself, and follows Jesus. That's a person who can face dark days with resilience and courage because through Christ they've overcome. Do you think, do you think that the purpose of your life is to carve out a little piece of heaven for yourself here on earth that in a moment is just going to disappear? No. You were made for so much more than that. You are here to be a living proof that there is a living God who reigns over all things, who gloriously, with a word, spoke us all into existence, who knows you intimately and has rescued you from your own sin. You are made to make that known in all the earth. Get caught up in him, in his glory, his purposes, his mission. That is a life well lived. In a little bit, right here, in this pool of water, we're going to baptize five people. They're witnessing to that truth, that God saves sinners. The water, is what we're going to do in this baptism, is an outward picture of an inner reality. God, the maker of heaven and earth, sent his son Jesus to die for their sins and for yours. And by faith in him, you are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. Your sins are washed away. We come through judgment, unscathed and whole, and it's all because of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the offer of life by faith in his name. And it's that life, life trusting in him, that overcomes the world. So just wrapping it up, when Hezekiah gets, what Hezekiah gets here in this moment, as he spreads himself out on the floor, he's getting something really important, that it's not the rulers or the cultural trends or the political fashions of the day that he needs to ultimately deal with. It is ultimately God himself that he needs to deal. That's how the Christian life is lived. It's a reorientation of life toward the greatest, the ultimate, the most glorious, toward God himself. Watching world, and the world is watching us right now. They're watching how we respond. They're watching what we do right now. They're watching what is Christianity all about. Is it just another self-serving philosophy? Is it just about us and our power, what we're doing? Or are we going to surprise them? Hey, we can baptize more people. That's no problem. Are we going to surprise them? And how are we going to surprise them? Are we going to surprise them by showing them that Jesus is desirable above all else? What does that look like? Well, it looks like probably a change in our prayer life, a change that reflects our heart. Not praying, Lord, I want you to make my life better. 
Lord, I want you to make my, my wife better, my husband better, my kids better, my teachers better, my roommates better, my parents better, my job better, my finances better. We stop praying that way. That's our agenda. And just end up frightened, fearful, frustrated, anxious. We start praying like this, more like this. God, I want you to be everything to me. I want my life to be a testament, a living example that you save sinners. Don't you see, and this is what's really critical about this, that because, that because God is God, in all of his glory and greatness, we have, even in these darkest days, even in the darkest moments, we have, because God is God, we have so much hope. So much hope. And that is the basis for radical courage and resilience in the face of great trials. You do not need to fear. You do not need to fret. He is working even now. Even in these days, he is on the move. Many of you know the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the the evil white witch taking over the land of Narnia. Everything was so bleak. And the good ruler of the land, Aslan, the lion, he was nowhere to be found. And a faithful few held out hope that he would return. And suddenly, when it seemed like winter would stay forever, rumors and whispers grew. He was coming back. The snowy chill of the white witch's winter was thawing. And as one character in the story said, Aslan is on the move. My friend John Enzer came to China while we were there to help set up crisis pregnancy centers for women considering abortions, to help them in their crisis, to introduce them to Jesus, to give them the help that they need to rescue the unborn. And when he first got started, he began to see God at work in various ways, little whispers that God was at work, changing people's hearts. And he used to say to us, Aslan is on the move. Brothers and sisters, God is on the move. He reigns, and he is at work, whether you see it or not. Time doesn't permit me to just tell you everything that I am getting whispers of and getting full-on stories of right now. But just consider this, just this one thing. Next week, Christ Community, a church plant will officially be commissioned from Christ Community. That church plant in Rantoul, in the middle of a pandemic, That's happening. Praise God. Yes, praise God. That's happening next week. All glory to him. We live in a world, though, that is starved for hope. Where else are they going to find the true and lasting hope? God is on the move. That hope is only found in Jesus and in his death-defeating mission on the cross. We may feel beat down by this season, but Jesus is not beat down. He stands victorious. He is our king, and he lives in you, Christian. What kind of tale have you fallen into? If it's, if it's with Jesus, it's going to be one of hardship and difficulty and eternal worth and beauty. Take courage. Take courage, brother or sister. Trust in him, Jesus, who raises the dead to life. He has overcome, and so shall you. At the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, all the main characters, through much trial and struggle, make it to Aslan's country. They overcame, and the book ends like this. I'm just going to read it to you and pray. For us, this is the end of all the stories, 
And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have overcome all. You have overcome sin and death and Satan and hell for us. Because you overcame, we can overcome. Oh Lord, make our lives centered on you. Make our hearts, cause them to be caught up into your purposes and your plans, your mission. We want glory, Lord. We want to be fixed on you. Fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, today. Help us to overcome, to have courage and resilience in this season of difficulty. And Lord, yes, charge us again to live out our mission, gospel community mission, together as one family bound together by your blood. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.